Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who can tell you why a minister in Victoria, Texas once said, the devil is in town and his name is Dom DeLuise. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay! Me again. You're sick of me, but I'm back with another radio show of It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Uh, anyway, thank you for being here again. And that was a really funny story. Uh, my big break I got me out of waiting tables was the movie The Best Little Horror House in Texas. And I got to be very good friends with Dom DeLuise, who was the greatest guy. He was, and his family's great, and I'd love to have his three boys on the show. I'm going to work on that. Um, because that was just great. And his wife, Carol, fantastic. So we're in making this movie, and on sat on a Saturday, <clears throat> Dom says, and there was a crew of guys. We were his sound crew. We were his TV crew in the movie. And we all took a liking to each other, and we hung out. And Dom said, let's go see. I want to see the movie Mommy Dearest. So we go to see the movie Mommy Dearest, and we went to a, like a Wendy's beforehand. We brought like burgers into the movie. <laughs> and in Victoria, Texas, Mommy Dearest was a very serious biography. But from five, for five idiots from Hollywood, Mommy Dearest was a really funny movie. <laughs> like, you know, Faye Dunaway was so over the top and just, I mean... <clears throat> Excuse me. It was so funny. And we're laughing. And then we start like throwing cheeseburgers at the screen. And Dom DeLuise is yelling. It's like, oh, my. And he's laughing so hard. And and so Sunday comes and the day is off on the movie. And Monday we show up and a couple of other people in the cast, not our crew, but some other people, had gone to church on Sunday in Victoria. And the minister's entire sermon was... He was warning his flock that the devil was in town and his name was Dom DeLuise. <laughs> and Dom DeLuise thought that was the funniest thing he had ever heard. Anyway, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Uh, <clears throat> I have a wonderful guest with me uh, today. Somebody I think if I lived in L.A. and not in Santa Barbara, I'd be better friends with because I love everything he does. Anyway. Uh, he's a great guy. So like, give me a little drum roll. My guest has 110 credits on IMDb. <clears throat> That's double me, buddy. He was an actor on Community, The Mindy Project, Mike Tyson Mysteries, then a writer on uh, The New Wonder Years. We'll talk about that. SNL, we'll talk about that. Last Man Standing. But my favorite Jordan Black credit is that he is the creator of a show called The Black Version which is one of the funniest, best improvised shows ever. That's a, that's a very easy, it might be the best improvised show ever. And we're going to talk a lot about that in segment two. In the meantime, please welcome Jordan Black. Yay! Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. And if I move to Santa Barbara, we'll be better friends. No, too. don't. No, no. <laughs> oh, you don't want me in your precious Santa Barbara? <laughs> like, would none love of you L.A. clowns. Me. Nothing would be more fun than having you in Santa Barbara. It's uh, anyway. I did lose my virginity in Santa Barbara. But did you really? 
Yes, but I won't share that story here on the radio. We can. If you don't say dirty words, we can. <laughs> I won't. Uh, no, oh, I don't. Yeah, so you told I want pro- to protect the innocent. Did What's you, that? You told me you dated a girl at UCSB, right? Wasn't I that? did. Let's leave it. <laughs> okay, we'll just stop right there. <laughs> we'll stop right there. So anyway, Jordan, welcome. Thank you for doing this. I always like, I always love hearing people's journeys, how they got to Hollywood. And I know you have one because you came from this sort of like, no offense, nowhere town in Illinois. No offense taken. And and you just sort of said, I'm going to go to Hollywood. And you did. Yes, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of training, right? You were just, no, you just had a vision. Yeah, I knew I wanted to act. So, um, I was living in a town that might as well have been on the moon compared to where Did you do high school or college plays? Say it again? Did you do any high school or college plays? I took drama class from fourth grade all the way through 10th grade. Right. And so that's where I got my chops. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I didn't do the high school. Like the high school had their own like sort of theater world where they did musicals and stuff. I did not do that. I just did the plays we did in class. And sometimes we would do, you know, uh, we would actually do plays and your parents could come and all that. But I only did those. I never like auditioned for the school's plays. And why was that? I'll tell you why. Someone asked me about this recently. And, and uh, the reason is because I knew that I wanted to go to Hollywood and be an actor. Right. And because they made you audition, I said, if I audition and don't get a role. You won't go to Hollywood. What will that do to my confidence? I'd rather be told no by, you know, Hollywood producers right. than by like some English teacher. Yeah. And then that mess with my confidence. I go, I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. I'm not, right. gonna, I'm not good enough. If I'm not good enough for Kanky High School Productions, I won't be good enough in Hollywood. So I, did, really I just didn't risk my, I had a lot of confidence and I didn't want to risk it. Right. That's really interesting though. I mean that, and it kind of makes sense in a way, because you don't want to be told by Mr. Whatever Smith, the drama teacher, you're not good. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So like, I'm going to be told I'm not good. It's going to be by somebody who is who, uh, who is in the business. Right. Who is, <laughs> has at least been paid to do this. So, so did you leave after high school? I did right after high school, like a month later. And you came out to LA. You didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. I stayed with some family friends who are friends of my mom's who uh-huh. lived out here from right. our town, but they had lived out here like maybe ten more than ten years. And I stayed with them. Got a job. What was your job? I, I worked in a supermarket. Do you remember Boys Market? Yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Thing? yeah. So I worked for them, and I was I was originally a bag boy because I had no skills. So I was a bag boy, and then I became a cashier. Right. And so did you sort of find your, because I know you're in the Groundlings, and I want to talk mm-hmm. about that. Is that how you sort of found your career, or did you make other stops first? Oh, yes. Lots of other stops. And I, cause I knew nothing. So I came, I landed in LA. I was living in Inglewood and I knew, I knew nothing about how to get started. And I didn't know anyone who knew who could give me advice on what to do. Right. So it took me a while to like, you know, just mentioning to random people that they'd be like, why did you move to LA? And I said, I want to be an actor. And they go like, oh, I know someone. So I got, a, I got sent down a lot of, you know, bad uh, rabbit holes right. where people had good intentions, but they really didn't know what they were doing. Right. <laughs> they thought they knew what to do. No, I did the same thing. I mean, I, I literally, when I moved out, I didn't just like, I would, I would mail because that's what we did then or have postcards. I did that. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, if somebody knew somebody whose neighbor's second cousin's friend, it's like, I, and I didn't care. I just, I didn't care. Yes or no. I just did it. Yeah. 
Well, it sounds like you had a similar track. Yeah, it was. I didn't know anything, and I kept getting sent down the wrong paths constantly, like wasting a lot of time. Yeah, and but I was also growing up. You know, I was seventeen right. when I got here, so I probably needed that time. I know I needed that time, but eventually, I was dating this girl whose father was friends with a writer on a different world. Oh, okay. Her name, and her name was Judy Ann Mason, uh-huh. and so he basically introduced me to her. And her and her husband had a theater company for like teens. And even though I was 20 at the time, I still looked like a teen. Yeah, you so I started doing plays with with that company. And that and they were able to like, particularly her husband, Langard Williams, was able to give me real advice. Like, no, you need to like go pick up the drama log. Right. And look for jobs in there. And, all, and that really got the ball rolling. Gotcha. So yeah. then how how did you find the groundlings? I was in the drama log and I saw an audition for an improv group. And I loved improv when right. I was in Kankakee, we did it in drama class and I loved it. And I was like, and I was like, you can do drama like for an audience. I thought it was just like an acting exercise. So I was like, Oh, let me audition. I audition for what I got in. And from that, I, you know, and, but you, got, in, you group, got in to take a class. No, this was not a class. It was just an audition for we. This was an improv group. They just did shows. Oh, this was not the Groundlings. Sorry, this Sorry. was not the Groundlings. Gotcha. But this is how I found out about the Groundlings is once I was around other improvisers. Right, I learned about the Groundlings, and so, but I still didn't join the Groundlings for years because I was so broke anyway. Yeah, um, and I thought like, well, I'm already doing improv. I don't need to go to the Groundlings. And then as the years went by, I realized, well, I'm not getting any traction doing these shows in front of six people. So <laughs> maybe it's time I check out the Groundlings. <laughs> And did you still, what were, you didn't stay at Boys Market. Did you have other jobs then? I mean, after Boys, not really. um, After that, I was just an unemployed actor for a long time. Right. I had, my my mom was helping me out. I was living with her. And, um, and so, um, and so I just really pursued that for like four and a half years. I was just a struggling, broke actor, but it was really good. I was doing plays. I was doing improv shows, yeah. doing, my, doing my own sketch and improv shows where we were writing. I was doing all of that stuff. And then when I finally did, and I did that for, like I said, like four and a half years. And then I, when I decided to uh, take Groundlings, I got a job because I needed to pay for those classes. That's funny. <laughs> and that was, a, that was a, for a post-production company. So, so I, didn't, I never had another straight job after the supermarket. Really? Good for you. Well, I hated it so much. I learned I couldn't work with the public. I don't have the temperament. <laughs> yeah, I, that was when I realized I, was, I became that waiter you don't want, the right. guy. And I didn't start out that way, but by after two years... I became that waiter. You don't you hate that waiter because that waiter hates you, doesn't want to be there. And I remember the the manager of the restaurant brought me in to have a talk with me about my attitude. And that was the day I was giving notice because I got <laughs> hired on Best Little Warehouse in Texas. And that's what that's great. Yeah. So so then what did you go to see a groundling show before you took class? Tim, I never saw a groundling show until right before I was to take my final class, my final group of classes, the advanced level. Really? Um, I wouldn't. The reason I did it was because similar to my reason for. Yeah, I was going to say that's where my mind high school plays. Yeah, I was. I was nervous that I knew I was doing well in classes. I knew I was a good improviser. Right. I knew I was funny. And I said, but if I go and see these shows and they're so good, and then I just want it so bad. Like I want to perform with these people. I want to be friends with them. Now I got that in my head while I'm up there and then I'm not just free. So I didn't go see any shows because I didn't want to fall in love with the groundlings and then have that get in my head and, 
make me make bad choices in class because I'm trying to achieve this other goal. And so when I, but when I did see, I went and saw a Sunday show right before I started the advanced level, the final level before Sunday company. And as soon as I saw it, I knew like, oh, this is great. This is totally my thing. I, yeah, I could have seen it. Like, I love everything about this. Like, uh, I would have been fine. I knew I was in the right place. And do you remember who was in that show? Did anybody, st- they probably became. Yeah, I mean, they all stood out. I'm trying to think um, if there were in, anybody who's a, like a big name. Um, like I, I can't think, think you're, you're, oh, Oscar Nunez was in that show from The Office. I didn't even know he was in The Groundlings. <laughs> oh yeah, he was in Sunday Company. Oh, I he didn't did like know a that. Year or a year and a half. Um, he was so funny. That. And so, um, so then you got in the Sunday Show, and and that was yes. it. Yeah, my experience was different. I bought a t- I read about The Groundlings, and I went to get a ticket, and was just like, mm-hmm. it was a life changing experience yeah, for me. Was I'm seeing sure. that show and. Phil Hartman and Paul Rubens, mm. Pee Wee Herman. And, and so uh, I want to stay on the ground least one second, because this may be a difficult answer. But if you mm. had, and if it is, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but is there like a, or there'll be more of them. Is there like a favorite groundling? Like you either like worked with or eh, who, like somebody you worked with, like who do you think is your favorite groundling? That I worked with? Yeah, like who was in the Groundlings when when you were in the Groundlings, like, ugh, they were just my favorite. But don't commit if it's going to hurt. Yeah, on stage. like. Well, honestly, Daniel Gaither, who Uh um, we were in Sunny Company together and then Main Company. Right. So I always loved doing improv with her. I also loved writing with her because we're the exact same age. Uh-huh. We clearly is, it's obvious what I have in a conversation that we watched all the same TV shows. Right. So all we like, when we'd write all the references, we're like on this one, you're going to, it's like my auntie and she'd be like, yep. And now I have explained anything. And on this one, you know, you're this, this kind of principle. Yep. Got like, we just spoke the same language and in improv, it was the same thing. Like you just give just a little bit of a, idea of something and it was just off to the races yeah it's funny you mentioned her because i did not i've you know again live in santa barbara it's like i don't get to enough groundling shows and so i when i the first time i came to see the black version which we're going to talk about in the next segment i had never seen her before mm-hmm. and i came out of it there were there are a lot of people gary anthony williams i had worked with on raising hope mm-hmm. uh but and I, I knew Cedric and, I, you know, people I knew, but mm-hmm. I had no idea about about her and mm-hmm. just blew me away. Like, yeah. oh, my God, is she funny? And then our mutual friend, Lynn Stewart, had to say, oh, well, she was on Mad TV and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, but I had never seen her. And it's just like, oh, my God, is she funny? She is she, really talented. Right. But I mean, honestly, there's. There's a handful of people like Jeremy Rowley. I'd have to put on that list. Like, yeah, I love being on stage with him. Yeah. Um, Jim Rash. I love being on stage with yeah, nobody makes me laugh more than him and Jeremy. Like, it's just, but then like, there's so many of the guys who came before me, like Michael Hitchcock and Tim Bagley, who, yeah. Great. I mean, like, I can't stop laughing yeah. while I'm in the scene with them. Like, and Lynn, I love yes. working with Lynn so much, Lynn Stewart. Yeah. So it's hard to say a favorite, but from my era, I would say like Danielle, Jeremy, Jim, yeah. Mitch Silpa. These are the people I had the most fun on stage. Yeah, with. they're all so funny. And they're all names that everybody recognizes. You know, if you don't know the name, you know, you see, you've seen you know them the a faces. thousand times. 
yeah, my brain always goes to, I don't know if you remember him or met him, a guy named John Paragon, who mm-hmm. at the time, you know, Phil Hartman and Paul Rubens and Ian McClurg were like, they were like the big stars in TV, mm-hmm. but like Paragon, within the four walls of the Groundlings, mm-hmm. uh, in my time, nobody got like louder laughs. If there right. was a Geiger meter on laughs, Paragon just knew how to work that place. You know what I was like? It, yeah. Within the four walls of the Groundlings, he I did get to meet him house. once. Yeah. I think it was at one of the reunions. I got to meet him once. He was a legend. Like, I mean, I come in there, you would hear about him. Like, I never got to see him perform. I got to see him perform in a reunion show, but I never got to see him in his day. He's, the, the, he's um, the only guy who could make Phil Hartman crack. Like me, yeah. I was like on the Carol Burnett show. I would just turn up stage all the time because I would start yeah. laughing. But yeah. Hartman never did. But Paragon got him twice. He, I remember <laughs> twice great. that he did a bit. Yeah. And they were both when Hartman did uh, Chick Hazard. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, we're going to take our first break. I, I didn't even get to anything. I did want to ask you your your first credit. I'm looking uh-huh. at IMDb was something called Club Vampire, uh-huh. and you played Gangster Number One, <laughs> right? I, <laughs> Which I, I really don't remember at. it that well. Yeah. It was back before my Groundlings days when I only got auditions for dramas, right? And so that was one of those roles. But I and, love that you were Gangster Number One. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, sort of like that's like a Hollywood Shuffle bit that you would play yeah. Gangster yeah, 100%, Number One. 100%, yes. Very funny. I played Man. I played man <laughs> twice on uh, Trapper John. They, well, brought, they, they knew you, it was true. You could play that, though. There's I was no playing man. The first time I, I called the ambulance, I saw a car <laughs> accident. And the next time I was being released from a hospital as man. That's all. But just think about how that's really a compliment because literally think of all the men in the world that could have played that part. They and only they needed a back. man. Yes. And you got those parts. What a great man. Yeah, let's get him back here. Okay, we're going to take a break. I'm talking to Jordan Black, wonderful writer, actor, improviser, producer, and we're going to talk more to him. And you are listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack, asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny. It's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. It's Steve Starkey, and I'm here promoting my recent publication, Breaking and Entering. I wrote this uh, after producing a number of films with Robert Zemeckis, including Castaway and Forrest Gump and a number of others. But in any case, I'm happy to be here on It's Radio with TV Stim Stack. People ask me, why do you have so many wigs? I'm an actor, writer in L.A., and my home base kind of is The Groundlings. It's a sketch and improv theater in school, and we do sketches with wigs. One of my dear friends there, who also directed me in shows there, is a man named Jordan Black. Besides him being hilarious, like one of the most hilarious improvisers I've ever seen, he's also a great writer, actor. He's written on Saturday Night Live, currently writing on The Wonder Years. He also created an improv show called The Black Version. Him and his all-black cast taking a suggestion from the audience of a popular movie, and then they improvise the black version of it. It's hilarious. It's beyond hilarious, I promise you. My guest is Jordan Black. We're talking this segment. We're going to talk about his uh, production, uh, and I'll let him explain it. It's called The Black Version, and it's really, anytime it plays, if you haven't seen it, you can go online to theblackversion.com, and you can find their dates. Uh, And Jordan is at, uh, what's uh, fake Jordan Black on Mm -hmm. Twitter and Instagram? 
And there's another guy named Jordan Black on Instagram. He's a really well-built guy. I don't know if he, he's like a muscle guy. How dare you? Yeah. How dare you assume yeah. that's well, not you me? Should, you should say that. Uh, so <laughs> tell us, uh, how did the black version start? Um, I, for years, always had this idea in my mind, like, ooh, wouldn't it be fun to have an all-black improv show at some point? Right. But the problem was I just didn't know enough black improvisers. There was always, like, maybe one or two more, and I felt like that's not enough for, to put together a really good show. So as the years went by, I never forgot that idea. Uh-huh. And one day it dawned on me, just from doing, like, I met Gary Anthony Williams on a movie, uh-huh. and, and we, it was an improv movie, so I knew he could improvise, so I met him and had him start come do shows with us at the Groundlings improv shows. And then I met um, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele doing the gas show separately. You know, they would come as guests on the gas show. And so I met them both separately. That's another, and that's the Thursday night show at the Groundlings, which that's is the also great. I always tell people, if you're going to go to the Groundlings, go on Thursday night. I think that's yeah. my favorite Groundlings show. But if you want to see great a show. crazy, funny and, show. Um, and then I, that's how I met Cedric Yarbrough was doing the gas show uh-huh. as well. And um, and one day I was like doing the math and I realized, wait, that's like seven funny black people. I know like it's Phil Lamar, who's an alum of the Groundlings, right. and Daniel Gaither, who's an alum of the Groundlings. I knew them both from the Groundlings. And then by the time I added the rest of them, I was like, that's enough for a show. We should do a show. And I just wanted to do like, I was just going to do short form, you know, like a gas show type show. Right. And then at the last second, I thought, well, what's the fun of having an all black cast if you're not going to lean into that? Right. So I was trying to think of something to do. And so I just thought like really just as just a throwaway idea, because I was just going to do it as a one-off one night only kind of thing. Just, just to hang out with them was the real thing, Tim, is I wanted to just hang out with my friends who I never get to see. Right. And so um, I said, well, why don't we do something long form and maybe we could get like a movie and then maybe it's since we're all black, we'll do a black version of that. And it was like, I didn't think anything more of it than that. Right. And, and people lost their minds on that premise. Like we showed to do the show and there was a line around the block, show was sold out, people were turned away. And we're and like, wait, is, what? What's this happening? is a one this night version. Option. This is just like a one night. It was a one night only thing. Like, let's all just do this one night only thing that we'll probably never do again because nobody's going to come see it. I was was like, nobody's going to come to this, but we will have fun. And then, you know, if if we feel like doing it again, maybe in a year, maybe we will. Um, But then that night we realized, oh, we're kind of on to something here. We might want to book some more shows. It's so funny. It's it's it reminds me of speaking more groundling talk. But when Pee Wee, when Paul started his mm-hmm. midnight show at the groundlings, it just sort of, you know, by the time the black version came out and the groundlings has their own, you know, they are the groundlings. They're their own thing. But the, but when Paul did the Pee Wee show, the groundlings was struggling. It was not, mm-hmm. you know, he really put that place on the map. Mm-hmm. And but I feel like the same sort of excitement, like, hey, have you seen the Pee Wee show? is for the black version because people will say, have you seen the black version? And I tell people to go and they always get back to me like, Oh my God, was that funny? That would, it's something you have to see at least once I've seen it maybe four or five times and laugh so much each time. But, and you mentioned a bunch of names in your cast mm-hmm. and then you've had some big like guest card, like uh, I'm looking yeah. Wayne Brady's come in and Maya yeah, Rudolph and Tiffany Haddish and, mm-hmm. But uh, how did you choose Karen Moriyama as your director, all, other than knowing her? Yeah, I mean, I, I always liked Karen's style, her direct style. She's really tough, which I like. 
Um, and so I knew I wanted somebody really tough who would really like sharpen the show and make sure it's the best it can be. And also I knew I couldn't have a white person direct it. So, <laughs> and all the funny black improvisers I knew who could direct it, I wanted them on stage. It's like, right. none of us are going to step off the stage and direct it if we don't, if, when we'd rather be in it. Right. So it was always like, only way to find a director of the show would have to be somebody who's a really good improviser as well. And if they're a really good black improviser, why aren't you on stage with them? Right. So, so Karen, you know, being a Japanese American felt like that was in the right space, right. you know, acceptable to have another minority direct us. And then, um, and also she's just the best at, at, at teaching yeah. improv, directing improv. And people who aren't familiar with these long form improv shows, a director really is an important job because they can mm -hmm. set up the next scene. They can direct the scene to go a certain direction. They can mm -hmm. stop a scene in the middle and take a new suggestion from the audience yep. that then fuels the uh, what's going on on stage. Uh, it, and in your show, particularly, I think it's really important. Yeah. And she does. Yeah, and also job. because our show is also a musical, pretty much like we do a lot of songs. We have a really great band and um, we do a lot. So that's the thing that Karen will stop and say, OK, well, they're going to sing about this now. What style of music do you want to right. do? Something like that. And we'll break into song in the middle of a scene. And it's really funny and really fun. Was Willie Etra your first uh, yeah. musician? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, because I, yeah. I know the first time I remember seeing them. Yeah, that which, again, is, uh, you know, with the improv, the music thing. Um, yeah. There's a guy, there's a groundling guy who doesn't get enough credit is Ray Colcord, who, yeah. who sort of really brought like the synthesizer and all mm -hmm. kinds of sounds and music to the show. And it really, I mean, he was really an integral part. It of, elevated the comedy because yes. it just gave, you could score a scene, you could do a musical number, you could like, so yeah, he really, um, he really laid the groundwork for all of that and made it just an integral part of what the groundlings do. And and so and now the black version, it's like you told me it's played in New York and mm -hmm. yeah. And, we see we did the Kennedy Center. Um, we've had two. Uh, um, we've done it on two different years. Uh, we've gone and done the Kennedy Center. Last time was last year. We did four shows and right before the pandemic, we did two shows there. And so um, that's been great. And I mean, we've done it in Canada a couple of times. We, do, we go, we do the San Francisco Sketch Fest every year, including uh, this January, we'll be back. So go to sketchfest.com and buy tickets to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So all over the place, though. We've been to Louisville. Yeah. And you were saying when well, we had breakfast recently and you were saying, it's like, it's not an easy show to book. Like, I was like, why isn't the show? Because there's five at least five cast members right. and a director and a musician at least two musicians to right. travel and with. you gotta go and they all gotta have to have hotel rooms and it's not yep. like booking a stand-up and you can put them you know in a red roof in and they're fine right. it's like right you know like a stand-up you can book a stand-up pay them five grand put them in a hotel for a night or two right and that's your, and that's your overhead yes with us it's like you gotta book a nice hotel because we're all grown and we're not we're not college kids. Just We only do this for fun. Yes. So if it, you, you can't afford to pay this cast to do this show. So it has to at least be comfortable. Right. So, you know, we have to have a nice hotel. You know, we will fly coach. We don't mind. We're not above flying coach. And um, but but that's a lot of plane tickets, a lot of hotel rooms. Right. So it gets really expensive. So we mostly perform in L.A. And again, I, I know we talked about because I, I just love this show so much that I'm really like surprised. Maybe things have changed since we had breakfast. But but I, I just and you know this, I'm just saying for the sake of the audience. This would be an amazing TV show to be able to do a different movie each week 
mm-hmm. with your cat. I just think that's like a no-brainer, and I yeah. do think at some point you'll get that done because yeah, it's not going crops, anywhere. You know, you know it's yeah, like we've, talk, we've been having this conversation for as long as we've been doing the show, which is 13 years, with different entities and networks and things like that. It has not come together, but you know, you never know. It could still happen at some point. Well, it's just so easy to do. Yeah. And then and then my last question is is just about because again, what they do, what you do is they take a suggestion from the audience, like they make up a famous movie, like Killers of the Flower Moon, like you mm-hmm. might get that next time. Mm-hmm. And then what what Jordan and the company do is improvise a black version of that movie. Mm-hmm. And it just gets really, really funny. And I got to say that Danielle Gaither has no problem getting dirty. And right. it's, re- it's really, really funny. Like it. It takes about um, maybe 45 seconds into it, at least maybe the second or third time I saw it. And she yeah. went for something that was so <laughs> dirty and funny. And just like, then it's like the cat's out of the bag and they just go, yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Okay, we're going to take another break. I'm talking to Jordan Black, producer of the Black Version. You can see it on blackversion.com. He's at Fake Jordan Black on Twitter. Uh, I'll pump uh, My Show Sprung on Amazon, which is now. On Amazon. It started out on Freebie. Now it's on Amazon, too. And uh, there might be some news about that coming soon, uh, which would be, I mean, positive news, not just. <laughs> I would love if you were news. plugging bad news. Yeah, like, plugging bad news. <laughs> That's what I thought when you wouldn't go see the Groundlings. I thought for a second, like, maybe they stink and I've wasted all this time taking class and, like, I'm so much better than them. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. No. The opposite. The, uh, and I always say I thank Jeremiah Higgins. He's here, producer and Dr. D, the engineer. Okay. We're done segment two. We're going to move on. And you are listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hi, this is Dennis Miller. I'm here to promote nothing. Tim's a good friend, and I enjoy his company. That's why I'm here. Tim who, you say? Tim Stack. It's radio. Hi, I'm Jordan Black from The Black Version, and you are listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Say it loud. Hello, it's TV's Tim Stack. I'm talking to Jordan Black. I played that uh, James Brown song, Say Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, because I love that song. And <clears throat> I grew up, you grew, I, don't know, I don't know what your town was like, but the town I grew up in was incredibly white. Doylestown, Pennsylvania, when I grew up there. I mean, it was just like, there were some black families there, but it was just like, nobody even knew they were black because they were just like everybody else. The Nelsons. Mm-hmm. Literally, the family of the Nelsons. He was our town <laughs> nurse, and he was the barber. It was just like nobody. So there was a movie called The Tammy Movie. I don't know if you've ever seen The Tammy Movie. And it was, I actually later worked with the guy who directed the show, Steve Binder. And it was all these rock, like the Rolling Stones and the Beach Boys. And it was made in the 60s. Terry Garr was a dancer on The Tammy Movie. But all of a sudden, my brother and I go to the county theater in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, and James Brown comes on the Tammy movie. And we never saw anything like that because we're in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And it was just like, what the heck is going, like, what is going on here? With Who is this James Brown? And, and how is he acting like that? And it's so cool and so different. Anyway, 
So that was why I chose that song for that little intro to throw segment. That. I love that. Yes, uh, my town was when I was younger. You know, um, was very Lily White. Uh, we well, we lived on the Lily White side of town. Uh huh. And um, but by the time I graduated high school, it was very non-Lily and black. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, you know, you had white flight. Everybody went to the suburbs. Um, so, um, but it was great. I mean, for me, it was the best of both worlds, you know. Um, so this I, was uh, not a city, though. What's the name of the town? The town is called Kankakee. Kankakee. Okay. Yeah. Kankakee, Illinois, is about 50 miles south of Chicago, but, so, uh, but a world away. So that, like. But that's interesting, though, because if you, you, so see, you witnessed white flight, like, right in mm-hmm. front of your eyes. Yeah. Were you aware of it at the time? No, didn't even give a thought to it. Matter of fact, because we were the first black, white, black people in our neighborhood. Um, and then I remember when another black family moved in and we were so excited. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God. And then like everyone's selling their houses. We don't care. We're kids. We're not paying any attention. <laughs> and I remember there was this white couple. They were so sweet. And they like, I remember them moving in, you know, when the neighborhood was uh, still all white. I remember them moving in and then like they must have just gotten married. And then they, she was pregnant. They had a baby. And the, and the guy was so nice to all the kids in the neighborhood and including me and my brothers. And, and then they were the only white family left. Really? And that, and that's for sale sign was in front of their house for so long. And I remember like, he wasn't as friendly anymore. <laughs> and I remember my mother telling us like, he's just sad because they can't sell the house. He's upset. Right. You know, eventually they moved. I don't know what, if they sold the house. Or what? I'm guessing they must have. Right. But eventually they didn't move. That's really interesting because Howard Stern talked about that so much mm-hmm. about being the last white family on the mm-hmm. block when there were all this white flight was happening in Roosevelt where he lived. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting from a black point of view. I find it interesting from a black yeah. point of view, like the white flight to see people leaving and black people come. Were the was the first black family in? Were they friendly? Were they nice? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, oh, they had kids our age, so you know it was like it was love at first sight. We were just we were just happy that another some more. Not that we hadn't thought about like oh we wish there were more black. That right. never dawned on us. Right. Um, we had we were just friends with all the white kids. And this black these black was like oh some more black kids. We're not the only black kids. We got to go down to their house right now. <laughs> you know? The Hollises. That's really funny. They were the Hollises. But That's yeah, so, you know, and then eventually it was all black neighborhood. And we loved that, too. We loved it when it was all white. We loved it when it was all black. You should think know. about that. If you're looking for something to write about sometime. That's yeah. very interesting, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting town. Yeah. Very interesting way to grow up because the town was was pretty much 50-50 black and white. So school was pretty a lot 50. So I always tell people it's interesting because I haven't really experienced that anywhere else in the world where. You had all these black kids and white kids who grew up together, going to schools together from all the different socioeconomic backgrounds all together. Like in L.A., everybody's separated. All the races separated. The socioeconomic classes are separated. But there. So like when I would go back for high school reunions and things, you it was like there's a thing that you notice as a black person when you're around white people who are comfortable around black people. Not not that other people are racist, but just like you used to be around black people. We're not exotic to you. And so way James Brown, I my classmates with my classmates that I grew up with that we're not exactly they grew up with us. They're just like they're not impressed with blackness. They're right. not scared of blackness. They're not intimidated by blackness. They're like, what? You know, if some they're not a, like if somebody black jump bad, they're like, well, we gonna fight like I don't because <laughs> there's no mystery to us for them. And, I was like, and that's the only place I've experienced that. Interesting. It was my hometown, because maybe that was it. When, when my brother and I saw James Brown, it was like. 
Oh my God, what a mystery. Well, yeah, I mean, James Brown would make that, make anyone have that reaction, I think. Uh, but we didn't even know. It's just so, yeah. uh, so great. So, um, again, I'm talking to Jordan Black of the Black version. So, but let's talk a little bit about your writing career because you've sort of said goodbye to acting other than improvising the band. And if a role comes along, you'll obviously do it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we talked about that at breakfast on this whole new way of auditioning, which mm-hmm. of on videotape, it's just yeah, like, wow. Or self-tapes are the worst. They're terrible. I, I don't know. It's another victim of COVID is yeah, the is. audition yeah. process. Mm-hmm. And it's like you have to make a movie. It's like you in need to bring house. in a director to do a self-tape. And a, and a cameraman and a computer technician. Yeah. And then find someone to read offstage dialogue for you. It's like, it's a lot. Yeah. Anyway, if I were younger, I'd be game. But <laughs> I'm me. Yeah. No, I, I am the same way. And, and I had a... Well, I shouldn't talk about it. I had an acting agent who would get mm-hmm. me auditions. And I finally just said, I'm terrible at this. Like, I'm not good. I used to book like, you yeah, know, yeah. it's like, I don't, what happened? I've heard a lot of actors say like, now that everything's self-tech, they stopped booking. When as before, when they were in the room, they were booking more. Yes. Of course, being in the room makes a huge difference because you're meeting them. Yeah. And you can't just they can a ask person questions. reading the lines they've heard a dozen other people just read. Yeah. And maybe try it this way or maybe try it. Mm-hmm. You can't do that on a self-tech. Exactly. It's got to like, it's got to be perfect. Yeah, but apparently, I know this is boring for the audience, but apparently casting directors love it because they can see 400 people instead of 100. And I'm like, did you need to see 400? Right. And they get to stay at home and not... Uh, yes, exactly that. And they'll have to rent offices. And So, um, I noticed on uh, your IMDb page, and I knew you had done this, was you went to Saturday Night Live for, I guess, a year? Yeah. Was that in hopes of getting on there as a performer? Yes. 100%. And- why didn't that work out? Okay, I'm going to try to be very diplomatic. Well, I have an SNL story, too, so I know yeah. about being diplomatic. Yeah. So, when they offered me a writing job, I auditioned for the show. I auditioned, like, two years before that audition, I didn't get it. I thought it was over. Two years later, they asked me to audition again, and they said, oh, we want to offer Jordan writing with the possibility of performing. I said, no. I don't want to be a writer at SNL. I want to be a performer at SNL. And, and it was a hard decision. It was not an easy decision, <laughs> right. but I knew I would be miserable writing on a show that I dreamt of performing on. And so I said, no. And then it was this back and forth all day between my manager and SNL. And what was reported back to me, and I don't know what the truth is, was that Lauren said that I would get to perform, that he promised I would get to perform. They're going to hire me as a writer, but he promises I'll get to also perform. Right. I said, okay, I came. I did not get to perform. So I finished out that whole season because I was like, I'll give you the whole season. I don't want to leave in the middle and go, oh, we're just going to put them on here. So the season ended. I was miserable the whole season. And I, so I said, and I wanted to come home to LA where I was happy. Right. Because I could go back to Groundlings and do Groundlings shows. I can go back to auditioning. I wanted to act and I wanted to be um, on camera. And, um, and so that's what I came back and did. Um, what I didn't know that I know, well, this is the diplomatic part, I guess, that I'm going to say anyway. What I didn't know that I know now is that everybody was miserable. <laughs> and I didn't know that. I thought I'm miserable, so that means I'm not a good fit. I should leave. <laughs> Let all these people enjoy their jobs and not have to look at my miserable face. That's funny. And then years later, I'm talking to all my friends who come in like, and they were and like, I didn't know everybody. The actors are unhappy. The writers are unhappy. I was like, oh, everybody's unhappy. I, now, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have been I'd be like, oh, oh, okay. Well, this is just the nature of this show. <laughs> it's so. so funny. My, my, I'll tell my story quickly, but it's the same thing. I went there with the attitude of, 
this is the greatest. This is Saturday Night Live. And I was hired for, to write on the show to then get ready for the fall. This is mm -hmm. 1986. So this is a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and it didn't work out. But part of what I didn't know was that what you're saying, everybody's miserable there. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I just, come on, guys, aren't you thrilled? It's Saturday Night Live. You must be so happy. No, we're not happy. We're not happy. I also didn't realize the politics of, right. of the, the cutthroatery, if that's a word, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. it's so important to get your stuff that you'll do it at the expense of somebody else. It's like, yeah. which is not me. I've never, ever done that in my life. Mm -hmm. I've never created anything to try to get it to work at the expense of somebody else. It's always like, yeah. if you like it, great. If you don't, I, I'm moving on. I'm fine. I can handle rejection. Right, exactly. And I mean, in SNL's defense, like to the cutthroatery of it all, it's like not everybody there is that way. Some people succeed without yes, being that way. Yes. But those who do that also are rewarded for that as well. Like, no, there's no like if you're a cutthroat, that can be rewarded. Yes. And it's like, uh, it's not yeah. really a good fit. Yeah, I remember Hartman telling me later and he did everything after I, this incident that happened. I was mm -hmm. still thinking I could be on the show. And then he got on. And he was still trying to get me on. And he just, years later, he just said to me, he said, I really removed, removed myself from that. And by the end, you know, he started out like he was in, in one sketch. But by mm -hmm. the end of his run there, he mm -hmm. was in every sketch. It was just, it was crazy. It became the Phil the glue. show. Yeah. Um, so then, so, but you are, you've written on a bunch of shows now, like mm -hmm. Last Man yeah. Standing and, you know, like a classic sitcom and, and, yeah. uh. And the the recent the black version not the black version but the black wonder years yeah was that a good experience great experience probably it's probably the best show I've ever written on we are canceled we won't be back for a third season um, but it was probably the best writing experience I I mean not best writing it was one of the best writing but also the best show like when you look at it put up on the screen look it's just like it's one of those things where, and I'm sure you've had this time where you see something and you go like, I'm perfect for that. Why am I not writing on that? Or that was something I'll be proud to work on. Right. And that was a show where I would, I actually watched the show every week when it came on live, just as a fan. Like I couldn't wait to see the show. Like it would come on Wednesday nights at eight 30. I think it was. And I'd watch it because it was like, I was excited to see the show, even though I was there for it, it was that good to me. And we won a uh, Peabody award for it. Right. So I'm not the only one who thought it was great. <laughs> and, I, and I heard from people who saw it, you know, people, the reaction I got from those who watched it was exactly the same reaction I had. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe how good this is. Yeah. So yeah. And also, yes, the writing room experience was fantastic. We had a great showrunner, uh, Saladin Patterson, who I've worked with in the past uh, many times. And, He's a delightful showrunner, just great. And um, and he put together a really great uh, team of writers. And I'm not including myself in that. I was very lucky. And that show came out just perfect to me. It was, I, I confessing, I only saw the pilot. I really, really liked it. It's, yeah. um, I tend to watch dramas as I get older. Yeah. Like I just, yeah, it happens. Me too, mostly. Yeah. yeah. But, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought like, oh, they did a great, I had acted on the Wonder Years the original one. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did one episode of that. It was fun. Yeah, I played the officious teacher, which of I course, used to right. do all the time, the officious teacher. Oh, we are. Mr. Johnson, he's boring. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just thought, yeah, that's a show that's going to work. It's like, yeah. you know, the way Blackish worked, why mm -hmm. wouldn't that work? And yeah. uh, I guess it didn't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're up against so many things that are out of your control. And, um, 
But, you know, I go into every job knowing it will end. And so I just enjoy it while I'm there and then off to the next thing, you know, hopefully. Okay, we have run out of time for segment three. This thing is flying along. I'm talking to Jordan Black. Check out theblackversion.com, which is a website for the Black Version play, which is we've talked a lot about. It's just so much fun and so clever. Um, and he's on Twitter at Fake Jordan Black. And I'm on Twitter at TV's Tim Stack. Now, I don't do TV's Tim Stack as like, that was my character on My Name is Earl. That's why I'm not thinking like, <laughs> yeah, I'm the creator of television. You're a big deal, Tim. You're a big deal. Just own it. Okay, thank you. I was TV's <laughs> Tim Stack. And you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. I'm Sam Chu, your host. No, your real host is Radio with the TV guy, Timothy Stack. We're back. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Great to see you guys again. Oh, you are such a bad liar. <laughs> yeah, I love uh, pants on fire. Oh, my ex-husband's a bad liar. Better take them off. Stop it, Bernice. Um, can I start you off with some drinks? Seeing as how I'm so thirsty, we'll just start with a couple of waters and a lot of lemon. And bring a whole bunch more of these. Or you can just jump in our cup. Don't have to take <laughs> off that uniform. Bernice. Drown, I'll do mouth to mouth. Bernice. Any appetizers? The last time I was here, you were out of crab cakes. Oh, sorry about that. I'm pretty sure we probably have some. Mm. Well, I hope so, because if not, I'm going to have to gobble you up. Happy Thanksgiving. Give me that turkey leg out your pants. Bernice. Um, he grown. I think I'll go grab those waters and those crab cakes for you. Come back fast, but walk away slow. What I'm going to do to him ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. Bernice, that's somebody's child. Not mine. Okay. My guest is Jordan Black. That was him doing two black female characters. Jordan, what was that from? Uh, those are my buddy. Um, Drew does these... Uh, Bistro Huddy videos are very popular, very viral. Um, it's a different generation, so I don't know how these things happen. But he asked me to do the black version of some of his most popular viral videos. Now, so, is Drew, Drew Doge? Is that how do you pronounce that name? Oh, you're thinking Drew Drogi. No, this is Drew Talbert. Okay. Who is a Sunday com Company alum from the Groundlings, who's hilarious and super talented. And he is, a, you know, a... TikTok superstar. And um, and so he does these videos that are just all based on his life. He worked in um, as a waiter for like 20 years. Right. And so it's all based on those interactions. He plays all the characters in a restaurant, the customers, the hostess, the manager, the waiter, the cooks. And, uh, and they just, they go like, they get millions of views. And so he came to me one day and just said, what, how, what do you think of doing you doing the black version of like one of my most popular videos? And we put that out there. And so I think we did three of them, two or three of them. And, uh, and it was great. I mean, it introduced me to an audience that I have no um, way of knowing how to reach. Um, the other video I wanted to talk to you about, which I was going through YouTube and looking for clips, but it's a little short film. I guess you did it maybe, I don't know, eight years ago called mm -hmm. The Substitute, where you're a substitute teacher. And you're talking to a real, like they're kids. They're six kids in the class. And do you know what I'm talking about? I have no clue, Tim. I'm drawing a complete blank. Oh, it's so good. You have to watch it. 
I'm sure I, I, when I see it, I'll go, like, oh, of course this. But I've done so many shorts and web series. Really? And, you know, it's like a half a day here for this thing and this guy. And, and it's like, then I leave and I never think about it again. I don't do any of that kind of stuff anymore, but I did so much of it for so long. So Was that good for your career, all those short things? What's that? Was it good for your career? No. No, Tim, I'd still be doing it. <laughs> but it was fun. It was always fun. And, you know, meeting people and making friends. A lot of times I was doing it for Groundlings friends um, just to hang out with my friends. But uh, as you see, that's a big part of my thing. Like I do stuff just for an excuse to hang out with my friends. Um, but yeah, so I don't remember that exactly. But, you know, that's I have to really look great. It up. People should go. Go Google or go to YouTube. It's Jordan Black and put in the substitute. And it's, yes, a, I it's, I think it's like six minutes long and it's you with yeah. real kids yeah. and you're asking them questions. And it's, I just wanted to ask, cause it's cut in a way where I think you may not, I think they may have shot questions afterwards cause there Probably. are reactions from the kids that mm-hmm. I always love. I just love that stuff when people re-ask questions yeah. based on something. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I, di- the first web series I ever directed was this thing called Ask a Slave and it went viral and it was this oh actress God. friend of mine. She's what a television writer and an actress. And um and she came to me and said, Oh, I, I used to work at the um George Washington home and I forget where is it? Um Mount Vernon? Mount Vernon. Yeah. As a reenactor, as one of the people who is so she had to play a slave. And people would come to visit and they would say things to her like George Washington didn't have slaves. And yeah. she'd be like, and you have to stay in character. And she'd be like, well, I don't know why I'm here then. <laughs> like, if he, doesn't, he, he did, because I'm his slave. Um, but um, it's she funny. Have you together. seen Shane, you know, the comedian Shane Gillis? I know of him. You should, his latest special, I think it's mm-hmm. on Netflix. The uh-huh. funniest thing in it is he comments about George Washington. He goes to Mount Vernon and it's exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just, it, but he, then he goes into like, George, so George Washington really had big wooden teeth and he owned slaves. So right. he was walking around with these big wooden teeth, like, are the slaves cleaning up the place today? Oh my God. I know. Well, my friend, AZ Dungy, who is a writer and she, a uh, writer producer on a lot of things people love, but um, she worked there for a while. And so she. She knows everything about all of that stuff. Like you have to learn all the George Washington history oh, and Martha Washington. So horrible. But we, but anyway, we put together this show that was the premise of which I pitched to her, which she liked, was um, a talk show where she's on like on her talk show set as herself, this slave, and then but then we got man on the street questions. Is, so we would go out and do it, and I just fantastic. got a bunch of like growling friends to ask questions like man on the street, and then we cut to her and her little like you know. Uh, corner of George Washington's house answering their questions. But they were all real questions right. that pi- people asked her at the house that were just insane. Like, why don't you run away? You know, things like this that people oh, would say to her. I have to watch. Is this on YouTube as well? It is. It's called Ask a Slave. Yeah. Okay. That That's yeah. for tonight. So it was viewing. so funny. So great. And um, yeah, and it, went, it, it instantly went viral and got all this press. It was really great. Really smart stuff. And she wrote the whole thing. So you mentioned directing these, the, the web. I was going to say, is that something directing is that something you want to do mm, um yes i mean and i love writing more yeah, so i wouldn't want you. anything that would take me away from writing there was a while where i thought about tv directing uh, but then all my friends who were writers who went into tv directing don't 
TV direct anymore. I mean, they don't write anymore. They just, and I love writing way more. And so I decided like, you know how this industry is, Tim, you get um, pigeonholed so quickly, typecast. So if they think you're a director, it's like, well, don't ask him to be in the writer's room. He directs now. I was like, well, no, when I'm available, I'll direct, but I prefer, you know, so I decided I'm going to focus on writing and creating shows and not try to be a TV director because um, I wouldn't enjoy that as much. And what about running a TV show? Oh, yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, I was going to say, I I assume that's the goal then. Yeah, that's a goal of mine. I'm, you know, I'm always out pitching. I have a couple of things that I'll be pitching uh, in the coming pitch season that are um, that I have uh, brewing. And then um, and then, you know, and then also just trying to get staffed on another sitcom, hopefully. Now that Wonder Years is no longer. Um, Well, obviously, good luck on all that. I, I think you'd be great. Uh, running a show because you've sort of done it now Thank on you. stage with the black version. Um, yeah, TV directing. I don't know. It's it's always like you line up a shot and you say, and then you have to turn to the showrunner and say, "Did you like it?" You know, because that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because it yeah. doesn't matter what you do. It's like, it's like it's that person's show vision. It's their vision. <clears throat> and sometimes the showrunner's great, and it's all you're mm-hmm. in sync and all that. But other times, I mean, to be honest, I only directed one episode of television and and the yeah. director's good well you're going to join now i was like no nah, i'm good <laughs> yeah well in tv writing is where it's at that's yeah. where the fun is and if you're and, in a great writer's room there's nothing like it so yeah, oh my god nothing so like it fun. and if you're doing features that's where you are the director is king so yes it's yes um jordan thank you so much for doing this my pleasure go back to whatever you were doing i'm gonna i'm gonna plug you one more time watch the substitute on youtube now i'm just kidding uh uh People, I promise you, it's worth a trip to Los Angeles. See the black version. Are you on next week? Are you Are you the first Our Monday? Next show is, I'm going to tell you right now, it is the 20th of this month at the Groundlings. 20th of, no- of, of November. Do you guys ever do holiday stuff like Thanksgiving? Yeah, we do 100 every year. When the ho- at Halloween, we do a horror movie. At Christmas time, we do a Christmas movie. If somebody comes up with a Thanksgiving movie that I can't think of right now, right. we'll probably do the black version of that this month. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is the only one I can think oh of. Oh my God, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah that would be a good one to get. You're going to have to come and yell that out. Okay, just give me the date. It's got to be in October so they can get it for you. Uh, anyway, Jordan, thank you so much. Uh, really pleasure. And uh, this is it for this episode of We'll See You Next Time on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. Fantasy Points.